This is the one with three men and a beacon. A caving holiday in Somerset. An imbecile. A glitter gun. And not the seal of Rassilon. It's called Revenge of the Cybermen. Here we go. We're embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space. Counting Daleks, Dalen Boot, and the Cybertronic race. Tontarans look like taters, and Silurians all have wonky scales. And the Doctor has a TARDIS. We're reviewing all his tales. Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is. Back when? Subscribe and read on iTunes, please. Episode by episode, we're trudging down this temporal road. Come join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be? Who back when? Who back when? What whole podcast land? And welcome to episode C zero seventy nine, dudes. Seventy nine <laughs> of Who Back When a Doctor Who podcast or Talk Pass. That's right. I am Leon, and with me in the studio today is. It's me, Jim. Hello, Jim. Hi, Leon. We are one Brexit debate and two martinis in, ladies and gents. <laughs> it's that kind of Saturday. <laughs> so bear with us. <laughs> Today, we are talking about Revenge of the Cybermen. We are. Those Cybermen didn't get their revenge. No, they didn't. <laughs> no. <laughs> Why is it called Revenge of the Cybermen? Wait, that cannot be the introductory question for this. <laughs> I remember this episode, not, not plot point by plot point, but I remembered a lot about it. And I certainly remembered Tom Baker meeting the Cybermen. And this is it. This is the only time he meets the Cybermen. So it must have been this serial. Yes, it must have been. That's pretty great. Top line. Where, where are your thoughts for this? Low, medium, high? High. Oh. Yeah, I loved this. I'm, I, I have on no less than two, not one, two occasions in my notes just written, oh my goodness, I love this serial. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I love this. <laughs> okay, this could be an interesting review. Fret not, <laughs> we will tear it apart. <laughs> Shall we jump into a bite-sized chunk of who? Let's do that. Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. Having floated through time and space using the Time Lord Time Ring, the Doctor, Sarah Jane Smith, and Harry Sullivan arrive back on Nerva. Except they're thousands of years too early, and the TARDIS hasn't caught up with them yet. To top it off, the station's full of dead people, and rather than being used to house the frozen remains of humanity, Nerva's 30 mission is now to warn passing ships of a new addition to the bodies orbiting Jupiter, namely the asteroid-slash-planet-slash-moon Voga. That's not enough plot, though, surely? Voga's also made of gold and inhabited by a race of dudes with white hair, and then there are the Cybermen, of course, and the traitor aboard the Nerva. Now the Doc and Co. have but four episodes to thwart the Cyber Plan to destroy the one thing we never knew was the only thing the Doc knew could destroy the Cybermen. <laughs> Peace, Peace go over. Over. You, you are, are welcome. welcome. <laughs> Aren't you just? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you wrote me a tongue twister, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. So Revenge of the Cybermen, eh? This was written by Jerry Davis. Just to start us off with a teeny bit of trivia or background information. Written by Jerry Davis. I didn't realize. I always thought Kit Peddler was the creator of the Cybermen. But yeah. but Jerry Davis is, in fact, credited as the co-creator of the Cybermen. Oh, I see. He co-wrote The Tenth Planet with Kit Peddler. He co-wrote Highlanders with Elvin Jones. Tomb of the Cybermen, also Kit Peddler. And on top of all of this stuff, that's already a pretty great merit in and of itself. Jerry Davis is the guy who came up with the idea for Regeneration. No way. Yeah. Wow. 
Exactly. <laughs> Legend. That's setting the bar pretty high going into this serial. So then, maybe we can do a little primer for... Let's hear I've, it. I've obviously watched the serial, so this is the wrong way around for me. Okay. But maybe for people, start. people who are just <laughs> listening to the podcast and don't know what the hell we're talking about anyway, or have skipped a few of the classics, like I have. Okay. How does this sit with the history of the Cybermen? Like, how many, how many Cybermen episodes have we had? Oh, what, wow. kind, what kind of stuff have they done? I don't know how many exactly. So we've had, this is not in, in chronological order, we've had Tomb of the Cybermen, Wheel in Space. Uh, I've written down one more here, but I know that there are more. Invasion, uh, Moon Base, and Tenth Planet. And probably more that I'm not remembering. Okay. Uh, but, so um, it's quite a few. Yeah, but, but this is, so this aired in 19, I read, wrote it down, in April to May 1975. Yeah. The last time we had any Cybermen action was in 1968. It has been a oh, wow. long time. Yeah. So is it, is it Troughton? That- it's Troughton. This is the first time, also a bit of trivia, first time that we have a cyber story without Troughton. Wow. Yeah. So the first time that the Cybermen appeared was the last episode of William Hartnell's in which he turned into Troughton. So we have de facto never, ever gone outside of Troughton land. So, and they entirely skipped Pertwee, obviously. Yeah, which is absurd. I didn't even yeah. think about it. I'm sure you must have talked about it at some point, but I, it didn't even dawn on me that we hadn't, it didn't have a Pertwee cyber story. And he, he was made for that shit. He could have karate kicked or, well, Aikido'd yeah. some Cybermen. Definitely. Yeah. So I, I come with more knowledge of New Who. Mm-hmm. So Cybermen, to me, mean machines that hijack organic life yeah. and convert them. Correct. There's not an iota of that in this serial. Is, it, is there a hint of that in previous ones? Yes. Okay. Yes, there is. So the, the, um, you've seen the serial with, um, with Capaldi, right? So the like, sort of prequel to the Mondasian Cybermen with the, the stockings over their heads and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Uh, so the... the uh, when we first see the Cybermen, like in Tenth Planet, and I'm sure in Moonbase as well, but certainly in Tenth Planet, we get Tenth Planet is the William Hardnell says farewell episode, and certainly there we get them saying we come from the planet Mondas, we have upgraded our organic selves to be this mechanical, this sort of automaton, whatever, this this cybernetic organism. We're going to do the same to you. Uh, and that's the scary part of it, because yeah. weirdly on this planet Mondas, they were just like us. They were just humans, basically. Okay. Not to sound racist. They were humanoid. Yeah. So is it, is it weird that this serial doesn't have any element of that? It, it's really weird, because there's one line in this serial, in Revenge of the Cybermen, where one, I think the cyber leader says, uh, by the way, first time we meet a cyber leader yeah. in Doctor Who, uh, where he says something like, we have enough parts aboard our ship to build a whole army of Cybermen. Uh, but is that all it takes? Like, is he just going to construct robots? Because that's not the same. Well, because we, we haven't addressed any of the story of this, <laughs> yeah. this, this serial yet, but there's a, there's a point where, I think it's Harry the Doctor and I think he's called Lester. Or, yeah. Are prisoners and they're going to be used, they're going to have bombs strapped to them and they're going to deliver the bombs to the centre of the Which is incredible, asteroid. by the way. Yeah. I don't know how you felt about it. Wait, hang on, you asked me, how do you feel about this low, medium, high? Before we get into it, before I have a chance to talk you down or at, up. At the moment, I'm in the middle. Okay. Medium area. All right. Um, <laughs> possibly slightly on the low side of medium. Oh, oh this is going to be but a good I, conversation. I don't really know. I think I think I was enjoying it for the most part. And then I, the Cybermen just weren't the villain I thought they would be. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So when the three of them are captured and they're, they're meant to be delivering the bombs. Mm-hmm. 
I think the way the cyber leader is talking to them, I really thought like, oh, this is the moment. This is they they want to use these humans and well they they think the doctor is a human. Yeah. They're going to convert them. They're going to use them in the sense that they're going to turn them into cyber people and then they'll be able to control them because he I think he keeps talking about control or something like that and you know, we'll be able to make you do these things. But there's just nothing done with that. Like there's no there's no threat of them being cut up and turned into cybermen. There's no That's true. No even kind of like brainwashing or I don't know. It was, it was just throughout this serial they struck me as just being a mechanical alien of some kind that's that's the way they portray it the classic cyberman serial that i have scored the highest so far invasion i give that a 4.5 nice i have no doubt that in that serial that's the saint paul's cathedral shot of the cybermen in london i have no doubt that in that serial there's the note of they're not just invading the earth killing all the humans and now it's their planet I'm sure that they are going to convert humanity. In fact, I'm sure that they even make an attempt to convert the guy, the human who's collaborating with them at that point. Right. But yeah, maybe that's the, maybe that is the reference of we will be able to control you. We're not going to show you on screen. It's not part of the script. We haven't written anything about it whatsoever. But everyone in the audience knows that we, the Cybermen, can turn you into us, basically. And you will lose your free will and everything. But it's, it's not even very well hinted at. Like we're, no. we're kind of piecing that together. That was really what was missing for me through this entire serial. Is That's what makes the Cybermen scary. So how does this work if you're... I mean, picture that you are now in 1975, you're watching the serial, and you didn't watch Doctor Who when it was back in black and white. Which is quite... Maybe you were too young. Exactly, yeah. Right? This is, so this is a seven-year gap between yeah. Cybermen serials. So exactly. This, that's quite likely for children so would you still be afraid by these i think you i think you would be i mean yeah. certainly when they start um when they're in the caves and they're just shooting the the vogans and yeah like they're just <laughs> vogans <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, we've been trying very hard to get hitchhiker references yeah. here, like Vog- vogan vogon <laughs> but it's it's not really working so far um they're like decimating them but well, yeah I don't know, i'm using that word incorrectly <laughs> <laughs> And, and forever will, <laughs> Drew. <laughs> I, I mean they're obliterating them. I'll, I'll stick to that word instead, probably. With their head cannons. Yeah. Yeah. Which apparently is also <laughs> capable of stunning people. But anyway. We'll yes. Come, we'll come back to that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think in that, that setting, they were super scary. Like They, they were like the, the robot kind of setup mm-hmm. that we had in Baker's first serial. Like they're this awesome machine that you just can't fight like it's it's just dominating everything and like how would you stop that thing that's that's the scary yeah, there's definitely an element of that is later on certainly knew who tried to to be built up for the daleks of like one is enough you know like one dalek is enough here you have scenes of two cybermen walking through these mines and yeah. that's enough i think that bit is scary but it's just it's just not what i know of cybermen and by by the sounds of it it's not what anyone who had seen previous things would have expected from cybermen I wonder if there's an element of... I'm sorry to cut you off there, but I I wonder if there's an element of rebooting them here at play as well, because we've never had their weird gold allergy (laughs) before. Yeah, so that's made up for this serial. That is absolutely made up for this serial. That's never been the case before. It's been incredibly difficult to beat them. Yeah. And and now it turns out, oh, if you just throw this, you know, precious metal at them, you're fine. Problem solved. Wait, okay, what is the plan here? What is their plan? We're going to blow up the gold planet. We're going to blow up planet El Dorado and... (laughs) 
and that then makes us safe forever? No, there's gold everywhere, dude. Do you think this is the only source of gold in the whole universe? There are humans wearing it around their necks, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, I, I was struggling to find that part of the plot. A, understandable, and, and B, believable. I also got the impression that their cyber war, I think it, they referred it. Yeah. Referred to it as, has not been covered before. Explored. No, it, I'm, I'm hoping that it will be explored at some point, because I desperately want to see the glitter gun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the glitter gun. <laughs> yeah. So, so in this, we get, we get name drops for oh the glitter gun, the cyber war, and the fact that they're defeated by gold. Uh, let's not forget the Armageddon convention either. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's one sentence which uses glitter guns, cyber bombs, and Armageddon convention in one <laughs> in this episode. And they're, they're all used as if you should kind of know what they are, I think. Yeah, that's which true. Which I don't have an issue with. I like where you write dialogue and you, you expect the audience to maybe have to catch up a bit or something. Yeah. But you then have to give them the information to catch up with. True. Not just there was a thing called the glitter gun and never mention it again. And the audience has to kind of go, well, I guess it fired gold. <laughs> but what? I'm, like I'm, personally, I'm personally picturing like a blunderbuss yeah. and all the soldiers like going home, ransacking their drawers and, you know, their partner's <laughs> drawers. Like any jewelry you got, just throw it into this blunderbuss. No, 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 not, not silver. No, no, no. <laughs> no Werewolves are no, gold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I desperately want to see that episode at some point. Please, BBC Explorer. And, yeah, also, <laughs> I want to meet the person that named the glitter gun. <laughs> the glitter gun. Well, <laughs> Jerry Davis. <laughs> Maybe not the best piece of writing so far, but um, he does do the, just like Terry Nation had, obviously, like everything was a space something. It was a space city, a space gun, a space force, whatever. No, space force is Trump, but like space, whatever, space police, space everything. Yeah. Kid Peddler had the cyber everything, and it feels like Jerry Davis really picked up that mantle as well. Yeah. Because you have a lot of cybers, including the cyber bombs, which you mentioned. So, yeah, they were cyber bombs. Yeah. yeah, not just bombs. No, they're so. cyber bombs. Yeah. <laughs> and is this the first time we see cyber mats? No. I'm no, sure okay. we've seen... Wait, hang on. I think we saw them in Wheel in Space, potentially, but I want to say that they were smaller and, frankly, cuter. More in line with how you would expect them to then evolve into New Who and appear in closing time. Yeah. You know, where they're these small items that you could quite easily hold in one hand, as opposed to these gigantic fuck-off slugs that they are in this serial. I quite like them in this, though. Yeah? Oh, yeah. I love them as well! Yeah. I think I prefer this to the New Who version. Oh, really? I don't know how it stacks with the previous classic stuff. I, I'm, I'm going to look it up. I know that we've encountered them on Who Back When before. Hang on, before I look it up, I'm going to say Wheel in Space. <laughs> I'm going to the Vindex. Uh, talk amongst yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I definitely get the uh, the slug feel that you're throwing out. We've More encountered... than a mouse. But they probably yeah, do. you're right. Oh, yeah, these are not mice anymore. No. We've encountered them twice. Once was in the Whelan space, but we, before that, also encountered them in Tomb of the Cybermen. And I can't remember what they did, but I don't feel that they spread some sort of plague or anything no. like that. I don't think so. Did you even really understand what the hell that was? What, the Cybermat? The the thing that it injected people with that oh. was apparently going to register as an alien entity so that the... The transmat, lots of mats in this. The transmat <laughs> would recognize it as a separate thing and, and split it apart. Oh, I didn't think about that. Wait, hang on. Explain that again. It was designed to seem like an alien in well, life form? No, it's, it's referred to by the doctor as... I think he says it's like an alien entity. Yeah. 
which implies it is a, a, a kind of virusy thing. Okay. It's not mechanical. It's not like nanobots or something. I don't know. It, it could be. That is it just, just like don't a... don't have the language for it. Is it basically a reverse brundlefly? So they've been injected with some sort of whatever, some organic matter. And by transmatting, by beaming to the surface, those two items, they and the organic matter, are separated. Yes, I think... Like, they don't explain what would happen to the organic exactly, matter. Yeah. Where is it? Whether there's a pile of goop <laughs> next to Sarah Jane when they... <laughs> we, we don't get a nice close-up of that or anything, but... <laughs> she just arrives and blows her nose and it's done. <laughs> <laughs> at one point, my nose for part two, in fact, is just... Did he just throw gold at the Cybermass? He literally just, like, takes a fistful of gold and throws it at, oh, really? throws it at it. <laughs> <laughs> Their scheme to attack the Cybermen in the caves Could is... It- Pathetic. Yes. Yes? So are we, are we agreed on this? Yes. Okay, so two questions for you. Question one, why didn't they throw or shoot gold bullets? Because their guns are made of gold. Why not just shoot, or rifles are made of gold. Why not just fire gold bullets? One bullet, that's enough. And two, uh-huh. they send Doc, Harry, and what's-his-face, Lester, into the mines because they're suicide bombers. Like, they're turning them into suicide bombers, yeah. basically. But it's a gold mine. And they are accompanied by two other Cybermen who then go their own way um, in this gold mine. Should they not just die immediately? It's obviously not a airborne issue they have with it. or. But, I mean, the t- Doctor t- literally t- has a fistful of, like, little bits of gold from, um, what's-his-face, Kel- Kelman? Kelman, the traitor's like little pouch of gold. Yeah. And he just throws it at the Cybermat. Done. Cybermat dies. So if you're a Cyberman and you're clomp clomping through a gold mine, you're stepping on gold. Well, Surely their, just gonna... their plan, which the Doctor... Actually, actually, I kind of like the way it was written, because mm-hmm. the Doctor is like, and you know what's going on, and Harry's just very matter-of-factly, yeah, yeah, we grab the gold and shove it in their yeah. vent slot. <laughs> we throw it at their... Yeah, Chest but it's, it's very particular. It's like it has to be like a ventilation thing or something like that. Oh, okay. So I, I guess it's that they they ha- it has to get absorbed into them somehow. So, uh, so just clomping around is probably beats okay. me, dude. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't work, does it? Or they're just terrible at trying to get it in the slot. <laughs> hey, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was, that was pretty pathetic. Anyway, right, mm. let's dial back to the beginning. Okay, let's do that. The TARDIS travels on its own back in time to find the Doctor now, does it? Is that is that a normal thing? I took this to be something that the Time Lords had done. That okay. the Time Lords gave them this ring and said, like, hold on to this ring or this bracelet or whatever. It'll send you to a, like, it will... Because they were already quite far back in time, right? They were at the, the genesis of the Daleks before. So they, that's way in the past from compared to where they were before on Nerva. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. And with the Sontaran. So my thought about this was basically, the Time Lords say, hold on to this ring. We're going to send you towards Nerva Beacon where you were before. We're going to take the TARDIS from the Nerva Beacon and send it towards you and you too will meet in the middle. Can I just point out, or, or rather just ask you another question. Mm-hmm. What's this ring called? It's a time ring. A time ring? I think so. Yeah, a yeah. time ring. It's a time ring. So why can't it take them to where the TARDIS <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, 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 how did I not foresee this question? <laughs> I don't know, it's just a really weird setup. That we're, yeah, we're yeah. going to take you back where you need to be, but thousands of years before you need to be there. It seems to focus on, on space the... more than time, frankly. Yes, it like, really we're does. We're going to take you to Nerva whenever. Yeah, whenever. <laughs> really, in terms of time, the TARDIS is doing the heavy lifting here. Yeah, yeah, it really is. 
But that, that was just a bit of a hand wave through this, I think. It's like, well, we can't have the TARDIS on the station. Um, but that's true, actually. And we want them to be in a different time. so. And we want to reuse the set. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm all for, because I love that set. It's beautiful. Yeah. I hope they go back to Nerva at some point. Yeah. How do you feel, by the way? So we, ha- we had Ark in Space, Sontaran Experiment, Genesis of the Daleks, and this one. Maybe the next one, who knows? But certainly these four are basically one massive arc. They they kind of are. But I I think I would think of them more as just there's no time between them. Because there's not a lot linking. Oh, you mean like where one series or serial ends, the next one starts? Yeah, exactly. Because that's certainly true. But in in addition to that, there's no no travelling... They're without the TARDIS. They didn't have the TARDIS in Sontoran Experiment. They didn't have the TARDIS in Genesis of the Daleks. They don't get the TARDIS until the end of this one. No, but they're not dealing with one big overriding plotline. Or that's true. Like I, I, I think it'd be a stretch to call it an arc. Okay, yeah, fair. Other than the fact that they're on an arc, <laughs> <laughs> and but, that they're interlinked. Yeah, yeah. No fair point. But I, I liked that they did actually go back to the station, and it wasn't just the time ring suddenly takes them somewhere else, and the TARDIS happens to be there. Like, yeah, like it's it a bit hand wavy why they end up back in time and why the TARDIS has to come and take a long way around. Couldn't the Time Lords just have sent them the TARDIS, though? Yeah, I'm sure they could have. The TARDIS travels in time. Why does it take it time to get to them? Oh, shit. I hadn't <laughs> thought about that. Like, it's it's just a nonsense setup for them to be <laughs> in the same place in a different time without the TARDIS. It just, it's just nonsense. That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that aside, I like that they... That they're went, back. Well, he went back full circle. Like, yeah. it, it may have no relevance, the fact that they, they went down to Earth and then they went to Scarrow and now they came back to the station. Yeah. But it was a nice little thread to, I, I to, agree. to bring it all around again. And Nerva feels different in this one. I it does, yeah. super creepy when it's full of dead people. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> and it's really well done. Yeah. I guess it, it was just a reduction of sets they filmed in because they just didn't go anywhere near the, the cryo room that they had. Before. Oh, that's true. They didn't they do that, couple, and they didn't go downstairs. Yeah, to the uh, whatever it was, like the engine room. Yeah, they just had a the corridor scene and a couple of control rooms, didn't they? Yeah. Oh, I love it. <laughs> we haven't talked about the Volgons. Oh, Volgan, Volgans, 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 the Volgans. Sorry. So they're all dudes. They are all dudes. Yeah. Did you also get a slightly racist East Asian vibe from them? Yes, definitely. Those masks were modelled after something. <laughs> I thought for a moment that they genuinely looked familiar, as in that they were modelled after a particular individual, but I I don't know... Do you want to know some really weird trivia about... Oh, yes, please. So, the the speaking Vogans had masks that were sculpted to their faces. Okay. The rest of them... Wait, are are they genuinely modelled after a human being, after a particular human being? They apparently are using the facial moulds of... Arnold Ridley from Dad's Army. Oh, hang on, I'm I'm googling him right now. Arnold Ridley, who oh. aka Private Godfrey. Really? Are you serious? <laughs> That's what it says in Wikipedia land. That is absurd. <laughs> I've, I've just googled him. He does not look <laughs> at all like them. Oh, interesting. Like I I don't know why it would be modelled on someone's face. I guess it's it's more maybe more the interior, so they don't fit very well for people. Oh, maybe. And then maybe um, they've just figured, oh, well, we'll paint them and they'll look like aliens anyway. Yeah, because I think the the non-main like cast had a slightly more golden feel about them. Mm. I don't know if you picked up on that as well. Which they all made me think of yogurt from Spaceballs. <laughs> <laughs> if, if people out there can picture that. The Schwartz is with you. Yeah. 
Mina Schwartz be with you. <laughs> okay, I had not made that connection. That's a great bit of trivia. And while we're with costumes trivia, okay, d- do you want to throw out the eagle-eyed thing that you spotted? Oh, are we talking about the brush here? Yeah. All right, podcast land. Here's the preamble before we press record. I said something to the effect of, I'm going to Google this because I swear to God, the little hairbrush that Kelman uses, which which has a gadget in it, seemed like it was taken directly from a James Bond film. I didn't know which one. I'd written down Dr. Noah or Goldfinger, perhaps. But then, Jim informs me there's like tons of trivia associated with this. Take it away, Jim. So I read Wikipedia. <laughs> so <laughs> I did not. So I can tell you this. <laughs> Apparently, yeah, James Bond himself, Roger Moore, oh yeah, hand delivered this prop to the BBC <laughs> because because he was there. Apparently, in an interview, he described this as popping in for a cup of tea. I'm guessing he had business, but he might have just been popping there for, into the beeb. Yeah, <laughs> might have just been there for a cup. Yeah, he apparently handed this over to the props master, and the props master did not recognise Roger Moore in the scientist and paid him. <laughs> for the prop that he gave the BBC, which then ended up... What was it, like a quid 60 or something? It was two and six. Two yeah. and six. Two shillings and six pence. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what that means in real money. That is pretty amazing. Yeah. I've met Roger Moore. I've shaken his hand. Oh, really? Yeah. So you recognised him? I, I did recognise him. <laughs> <laughs> or you just shook some stranger's hand and like, someone said, oh, that's Roger Moore. He was at an auction, uh, auctioning off the shoes that he wore in the film Octopussy for charity. Oh, wow. And uh, I, I walked up to him before the auction and just like, uh, uh, if, if, Mr. Moore, hello. I was a kid. So like, Mr. Moore, hello. Uh, my name is Leon. I, can I have your autograph, please? And I just like shook his hand. And he was really good about it. He was like, just shook it back. Very good. Yeah. Still I, have the autograph. I was expecting you to have bought the shoes, but anyway. No, I, I did not have. No, no. <laughs> that requires money. Yeah. <laughs> okay, this might not be entirely right. But as we were talking about the Vogans a moment ago, is one of the Vogans called Margaret? <laughs> I genuinely thought that as well at the start. <laughs> and I, Not I, just me. I couldn't stop thinking of the Little Britain sketch. Oh, which one? Um, I forget the setup. It's like a toy, a toy store or something like that. And there's just someone at the counter who doesn't know all the details and keeps shouting out back, Margaret! <laughs> Have we got this really specific naming board game? <laughs> I was like, no. But no, apparently the Vogan is actually called Magrick. Oh, that's wait, that's Magrick. Sorry, uh, Magrick was played by Michael Wisher, whom we encountered in Genesis. He was Davros. No way. Yes. Wait, who is Magrick in this one? I didn't really make a note of it. I just wrote down there's. I wrote down Magrick is played by Michael Wisher, and I wrote down there's someone called Margaret, and I did not put those two together. So I I've pegged it as so. So the Vogans have this kind of two faction thing going on, really, don't they? They've got their leader, who is the chief counselor. I've written down. Uh-huh. Tyrum. Yeah. He has his militia. And then we have Vorus, who is the leader of the Guardians. Yes. And I kind of pegged up Magrick as being the second in command with the Guardians. Right. Gotcha. Yeah, that's Davros. Wow. Yeah. Did not get that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Good makeup. <laughs> well done, makeup department. While we're on the Doctor Who Connections topic, Lester, we've encountered him before as well. He was in the mind of evil. And Kelman, not on Doctor Who, but holy moly. I don't know if you're a fan of the Jerry Anderson TV shows. I've seen some. He was Virgil Tracy. Oh, wow. In addition to that, he was a, like in a pile of Jerry Anderson stuff. He was on Captain Scarlet, Joe 90, Secret Service, and something else. I can't remember. I've never seen Secret Service. But in Secret Service, I also 
found a screenshot that showed that the hero drove a car that was, in fact, identical to Doctor Who's Bessie. Oh, well. So it goes full circle. Oh. Those are my Doctor Who connections. Nice. Mm. So, segueing on a little bit. Okay. Not only does he have the whatever kind of device it is that's in the hairbrush, like a microphone Oh, yeah, thing. yeah. He also has he, the biggest fuck-off typewriter. <laughs> oh, he does. Yeah. yeah. But he's, he's got a little TV monitoring device. Oh, yeah. Which is, that's not part of the hairbrush, is it? That's a separate thing. It's a separate thing. He's got like a little USB that he connects <laughs> the hairbrush to. And um, yeah. Which, okay, first point, it struck me as that's a super awesome effect for 1975. To they, have like an image. in Yeah, his, yeah it's a like, nice composite. I don't think it's super hard. Like, I think films probably did it a lot. But I think on the budget the BBC had, I think that was dealt with very nicely. Yeah. But secondly, how the fuck was he seeing that? <laughs> is there, yeah, is there CCTV aboard the station that he's tapping into? Or does he also have a little hairbrush in a corner with a camera built in? <laughs> <laughs> or, is, or is it a cyber mat? Because he is oh, controlling cyber mats, actually. He but does. it doesn't look like cyber tech. No, it doesn't. Wait, hang on. Why does he have this tech? Did the Cybermen build it for him and then disguise it to look like Earth tech? As in, by I tech, know. I mean hairbrush. This this guy is geographical surveyor? Or yeah, he's what? a surveyor. He shouldn't have James Bond gear. How did he even contact the Cybermen? Okay, like- here's my assumption. <laughs> he goes to... Yeah, I don't know how you contact the Cybermen. This is a very good question. This is now pulling down my rating. <laughs> so my assumption is that at some point he went down to Volga, right? Volga? Vo- Volga? Yeah. Volga. He went down to Volga. Where are you off to? I'll go down to Volga. I'm just going to, I'm just going to pop around to Volga, guys. Okay, cool. See you in a bit. And uh, <laughs> he somehow deposits all these transmat balls. Oh, yeah, because he has set that up, yes. He must have done somehow that on down. his yeah. own, because otherwise other people will have seen that the transmat balls are in a fucking gold mine, and they also would have wanted in on it. True. Because no one else knows about the gold. He's the only person who knows about the gold, right? So he's gone down there and he talks to the Vogans, obviously. And Yeah. Or maybe, actually, maybe that he had accomplices and they were the first to be plagued. At some point, maybe he just transmatted them. Not transmatted, uh, cybermatted them. But I don't... This is what I don't really get, is that... Okay. The whole... Let's figure this out. whole overarching plot... <laughs> <laughs> We're going to fix this. Really, is that there? Are, there's a faction of the Vogans yeah. that want to get one up on the Cybermen who they've basically defeated anyway. And they, en- they enlist Kelman to help them by being a double agent to go and talk to the Cybermen. Oh, to- do they? Wait, what? This wait, is, wait, this wait. Is how the I Vogans know about the Cybermen? Yeah. The, what's he called? It begins with V. Boris. Boris. Boris is working with Kelman. Yeah. And they they want to destroy the Cybermen. They don't. They're, they're the most hated enemy. Oh, and this is why they have the rocket that's uh, yeah. pointed, or the missile that's pointed at. So they want Nerva. They want Kelman to lure the Cybermen to the to the space station, and then they're going to fire the rocket and destroy them once and for all. See, this is this is now bumping my score back up again because <laughs> this is way more elaborate than I gave it credit for. See, no, this is why I knock it down because it's just it's just bonkers <laughs> elaborate. But then, okay, so. I love that Karen there's is, a certain point where you go... Oh, I'm sorry, I just cut you off there. It's fine, Karen. Okay, so I, I love that there's a certain point where you go, all right, Kelman's just in it for the gold. And then out of nowhere, the cyber leader goes, yeah, yeah, he's going to be in charge of this solar system. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I, what? No, I wanted to retire, not deal with the bureaucracy of bossing around a solar system. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> and what, is, what does that mean? I wanted a planet made of gold. <laughs> 
I just wanted some shiny shoes. <laughs> clomp, clomp, clomp. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean, though? Like, okay, Cybermen might go and invade Earth, and then they would give control... Because it's our solar... Like, I'm pretty sure that's exactly what happened. That was the plot of Invasion, by the way. So in Invasion, there was... I can't remember his name now, but there was a human being who was a collaborator with the Cybermen. They wanted to take over the Earth, probably cyber everyone, and he was going to be left in charge of, uh, I'm going to say the galaxy, fuck it, like, throw <laughs> astronomical term in there. He was going to be, he is going to receive power, not just money, but like power. Yeah. And it turns out this is just a rehash of that because this dude now wants to be some sort of, he's a surveyor. What does he know about managing anything, let alone <laughs> a solar system, but he wants to be in charge of it. But what's that going to be in charge of? Like if... If the Cybermen go and turn all of humanity into Cybermen, Cybermen yeah. you're left with a rock. That's true. But I'm pretty sure that the human being in Invasion was also naive enough to believe that the Cybermen would leave him in charge. And then in the end, it turns out, no, no, the Cybers are clearly going to double cross him. <laughs> and that's clearly what's happening here as well. They don't want to leave Kelman in charge of anything. Ah, but it's a double, double cross, because he, oh. he doesn't want to work with them anyway. He's just trying to lure them in there to be destroyed, so... But does he really, though? Does he really? I think so. I think he was all about the... The, the Vogan. No, I think he was all about the Vogan plan to just destroy the cyber people. He, but he's not doing it for nothing. He's doing it for gold. Well, he, probably, he was probably getting yeah, If anything, gold, he's, doing, he's, not, he's doing it for something. Why does he have a pouch full of little gold bits in his in his room? Yeah, he's he's getting paid gold, but he's not going to destroy the Vogan race and just oh, for nothing. Just sit on his asteroid of gold. But he has also, in the process of this, killed. I can't remember if it was forty-seven or seventy-four For, humans aboard the Nerva. Yeah, this is what I was trying to loop back around to. Is that so? He okay. The setup is he's gone to Voga, mm-hmm. discovered that there is an entire race of people there. Yeah. And there's a load of gold. Somehow he, he must meet Vora straight away or something and they get colluding. Yeah. And Vora says, we'll give you some gold if you make contact with the Cybermen and lure them to the space station and we blow up the space station. Kalman, geographical surveyor guy, yeah. doesn't go, hang on, there's 50 humans aboard that space station. <laughs> he goes, oh, okay. Um, he doesn't know that there are 50 humans aboard that space station. He's paid to survey an asteroid, not to survey a space station. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he he ends up going, okay, this is this is a reasonable plan. I'll go talk to the Cybermen. Cybermen somehow buy his idea of you can come and destroy the planet with all the gold, yeah. which <laughs> I've heard you're allergic to. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I I meant to get you a silver one. <laughs> Handing over a necklace. Uh, oh, no, I, sorry, I kept the receipt. Um, yeah, so he's he's gone and talked to them, and they they've gone. Yeah, you can help us. Here, have this cyber map. You know what would be really useful is if you kill forty seven people. <laughs> or, I don't know. Like, how does he get in a situation where it's I'm helping this race of people who have been at war with this other race of people. And it means I'm going to happily kill these 47 humans. Okay, so he's using Cyberman technology to kill these 47 people. Yeah. It's a Cyberman plague and it's a Cyberman or it's a Cybermat that he's using as a syringe, basically. So could he be killing these people as a ploy to gain the Cybermen's confidence in order to get them aboard the, the station? That's pretty sick. Oh, yeah. This guy's bad news. Yeah. <laughs> 
it's not the level of stupidity of oh yeah i'm gonna help the cybermen and they're gonna give me control of the human race it's not that level of kind of evil power grabbing stupidity but it's it's a level of oh i might get a little bit of gold if i kill these people but do you think maybe really he was st- thinking like oh fuck it what whatever happens maybe he was thinking whatever happens i'm gonna come out trumps like i'm gonna either be rich or i'm gonna be super powerful it doesn't matter i don't care if some people die it doesn't matter i'll i'll i already have a pouch of gold i'm already like quids in yeah could that be it i don't know maybe he has zero morality zero allegiance even he's only looking after number one i don't know but he seems to care about the plan he seems to care about the plan of of killing the cyber people. I think he... O- I never got that impression. I only think he did that because he figured I'm going to die if I turn around and I walk the other way. I guess maybe. Because it's not like the doctor at any point either. Because the doctor otherwise would be our barometer for this, right? Like, we would base our judgment of Kelman on how the doctor judges him. Mm. And there's never a scene where the doctor goes, I didn't have him pegged. Actually, he was a good guy all along. Like, there's never anything like yeah, that. Yeah, true. So... He he's always classified as this greedy, power-hungry... He, he's referred to as a homicidal maniac by the Doctor, in fact. He wants to kill the Doctor in the very beginning. He orders them to be killed. Uh, I, just, I just found it really weird that there's this kind of double agent thing going on. But there's, it's like, no matter which way you cut it, yeah, he's, he's this heartless bastard that's yeah. basically killed most of the race that he has isolated contact with yeah. for however long they've been up on the space station like how has no one noticed that there are people like there's a whole civilization aboard this rock yeah i don't like how do with you get, water, there's water how do you get to rock? the state of technology where you can have this space station and you can't somehow detect that that asteroid has life on it also is it an asteroid it has an atmosphere Oh fuck! Yeah. There's water. <laughs> there are there are people who have evolved over millions of years into an well, incredibly intelligent life form with motorboats. They have speedboats. <laughs> oh, I read a little bit of trivia about that. Actually. Oh, I'll really? Come back to you. okay. <laughs> but I just, I just wanted to quickly say I feel like half the reason that Pluto got bumped uh-huh. is because there are I don't know the right is it planetary bodies is that the right term planetary bodies in our solar system, aka asteroids that are bigger than it and do have an orbit around things and i think that's why it kind of got why pluto is no, was no got, longer yeah called it's a, like well if we're gonna call that a planet then actually we should probably call this thing a planet i don't, oh, I don't I know see. if that's right i'm sure someone can correct me if they want to in podcast land um is it that pluto was the ninth planet and that's why we had the 10th planet with the cybermen probably and that in yeah. fact that oh yeah, yeah. i'm not an astronomer no idea. but I, I feel like there are massive massive asteroids around and they could have the same... But we just don't classify them as any... Yeah, okay. we, we don't treat them in the same way. Like, I have no idea if <laughs> the the physics back that you could have an atmosphere and life forms... I don't think that... On an I, I'm, I'm pretty... I, I don't know much about astronomy. I'm going to go out on a limb and say they don't. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there, there's no way there is an asteroid in our solar system like that we are aware of, that we have studied from afar, where we just didn't notice that there was an atmosphere and running water and speedboats. Well, this is meant to have come from somewhere else, though. It's meant to have entered the solar system mm. and comes into orbit around Jupiter, and that's oh, why that's, that's why it's a new thing that they're studying, and they have that to is true. That is set true. up the warning stuff for. Yeah, that's true. Um, but they, I think they do actually say that they're dismissive of there being... Yeah, because they get a signal from 
the asteroid because there's like the rogue Vogan who's trying to warn I was, them. I was going to ask you about this. Yeah. And who gets blown to smithereens by one of Voris's dudes, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Like, who's he? Is he dressed like one of the militia? So oh, he, he's thought, one of the, the leader's guys. He had way longer hair. Yeah. So he, yes, I think so. He got wind of Voris's schemes and Voris killed him. Yeah. And he was he was trying to warn the humans that there was someone there that was working with Voris, I guess. I guess so. I guess he didn't know the plan. And yeah, they they shoot him. And then the guy who is up on the space station at that point, I think he's called Warner, who gets killed. Okay. He's man, man in the communications at that point. He's like, oh, that definitely came from the asteroid. And the commander... Oh, or, or and, Lester, and that's Lester why is, Kelman takes the tapes and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think the, it's, it's the commander or Lester is, is very dismissive and saying, oh, no, there, there couldn't possibly be life there. Like, they actually say that yeah. like, in this episode that, yeah, nothing could actually live on that asteroid. So they're, they're kind of like... <laughs> Accepting that it's a very unlikely scenario, but actually presenting it. As I don't feel like anyone did their homework, really. <laughs> if, but you're, if you're competent enough to be allowed to work in space, then surely a bit more oversight is in order. Who do you take these humans to be, though? Because he's referred to as a commander. They look kind of military. Yeah. And they have machine guns. Well, yeah, that's in my notes as well. They have old school Uzis. Yeah. On a space station. On a pressurized space station. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's That's sensible, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, very sensible. <laughs> Uzis as well. Freaking Uzis. Uzi nine millimeter. <laughs> Is that from Commando? I actually don't know. Okay. I, have, I think I've only ever heard it out of context. Okay. <laughs> I don't, I'm not entirely sure. They also refer to Kelman as the civilian. So I'm assuming that it's some sort of military operation. What, what also struck me as very strange is that when they are, in, in the very beginning, when they're introduced to us, the audience, they are, or the commander is introduced as basically lying to the rest of the, of Donald Trump's space force. He's just like, no, no, everything's fine. There are tons of us here. And um, someone else like, oh, how's, your, how's the situation? Oh, I mean, it's bad, but it's under control. How's this guy's brother? Oh, he's fine. Oh, yeah. He's clearly dead. <laughs> and Kelman goes, how long can you perpetuate this lie? And there are three of you doing the work of an entire station. And he's like, it's fine. We've kept it up for a couple of months. We can do it forever. But to, What's his game plan? Yeah, to what, what end? Is he, yeah, what does he think is going to... Wouldn't it be beneficial to get some help? Go like, hi, is there a doctor somewhere? Yeah. We have a surveyor here. (laughs) (laughs) He keeps telling us to look at the rocks, (laughs) but we keep dying. It never comes up again why he would want to hide the fact that this plague has seriously wiped them out. They're quarantining themselves, which is sensible. Yeah. But you can send people in in hazmat suits and stuff. And Absolutely. By the way, they don't wear hazmat suits. They stop short of giving these plague-ridden individuals mouth-to-mouth, you know. <laughs> I thought it was bad enough that Kelman is realizing that there's other people around and he's just had the Cybermat kill the other guy. Yeah. And it's like, oh, shit, I better like play that this, but they this dude's just been played. Or, yeah, maybe maybe they did it. Yeah. And the commander just saunters past the prisoners and goes, like, oh, yeah, you, you keep your gun on them to Lester. And he's just walking right past the doctor. And I'm just kind of thinking, oh, the doctor could probably attack you right now. And I'm sure Harry could go at the, the other guy because he's only about two feet away from him. Yeah. Because that's... that's <laughs> Obviously, this is how you use a gun in a real situation, is you get as close <laughs> to your opponent as possible. Also, why, why don't the commander and Lester go, hey, Kelman, what, did you, what were you doing in that room? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you weren't even supposed to be here. Yeah. 
Oh, so you, so you're cunningly with um, someone else who's died. That's yeah. the forty eighth time that's happened. <laughs> How weird! <laughs> In fact, why is oh he's there to take the tape? That's right. Yeah. yeah, it just dawned on me that they never ask the doctor Sarah Jane or Harry. How they got there? No, I don't think they do, do they? Do they I think they give an exp- explanation, do they? Well, uh, I'm, the, I'm assuming they just say something or... like, we're travellers or something. Yes, you're right. They might say, our ship hasn't arrived yet or something, you know, witty, basically. But you yeah. never... They, they're convinced to trust them just by the sheer fact of uh, that the doctor refers to himself as a doctor of many things and of Harry as a doctor of medicine. And they're just like, hey, yeah, yeah, have my Uzi. Yeah, no, the... The conversation does unfurl, and the commander says, says, like, oh, have you come from Earth? Like, are you a support? And I think the doctor oh, just goes, yeah, we're from Earth. Oh, I see. Well, how? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In which spaceship? Um, Did you also arrive on the Cyberman penis ship? <laughs> <laughs> Did you dock it real good? <laughs> the dick dock scene. Okay, it is beautiful. I love it because you can tell not only because it's clearly a penis docking with the Nerva, <laughs> but it is also, it's like a macro shot. It's so clearly a, a miniature right? yeah. or, or two miniatures. And it's just like zoomed in really so close, like macro videography of just <laughs> boom. <laughs> the, the, index the, finger the, through ring made of index finger and thumb symbol. <laughs> Yeah, I imagine most of podcast land was already imagining you doing that, but he really did do that. <laughs> it is beautiful, though. As in, as I, I love the miniature work in general on on Classic Who or yeah. in Classic Who. I think it did bother me that they showed the panning down of the penis rocket, the the, the not Cyberman penis rocket, the the other penis rocket. Which one? Which is laced with gold from the Vogan rocket. They they oh. showed the same clip of them just kind of like panning down the shaft of the rocket oh. <laughs> about three times i think and it's like is it is there just a camera continuously going up and down uh, <laughs> which then um obviously the rocket itself gets swapped out for apollo 13 <laughs> oh yeah yeah <laughs> in, <laughs> just in, cape canaveral stock footage that's so blatantly stock footage as well yeah. i mean it, it probably has the american flag on it <laughs> if you look closely i don't like we didn't need to see the rocket launching like i get that you didn't want to spend more budget on it or, but. but they already have the they have the miniature that you mentioned that we get to see over and over again show that again like, i think it, it would have looked pathetic if they didn't <laughs> if they didn't put enough money behind it but oh why why would you just pick a random bit of stock footage that's so obviously stock footage. <laughs> so you you said that the doc never buys that Kelman's a good guy. Yeah, I don't think so. Do you buy that it's okay for the doc to threaten Kelman with a cybermat? I made a note of that as well, and I was going to ask you because we've had similar things not only on Classic Who but now also on New Who. Yeah. Do we have to accept that the doc's just a bit of a dick? Maybe he is a dick, but a separate but related question: Is the cybermat remote controlled? It appears to be in this setup. Right? It's not autonomous. It's not like there are cybermats crawling around the the Nerva station, right? I don't know. It seems to be alluded to that there are more. Okay. And there are only ever six cybermen in type 2? I'm not sure. I don't know. But it is remote control because the doctor himself has a remote control at a certain point. Yeah, he is definitely controlling it. So do you think that maybe... Is it a case of him either 
Solomon in Dinosaurs on a Spaceship or uh, when was it? Davros in Genesis of the Daleks style. I'm going to kill you unless you do my bidding. Or do you think it's him tricking Kelman into thinking that he's a bad guy, but in actual fact, he would never do that because it's it's not like he's keeping the Cybermat at bay. It's that he is, he would be the one to press a button that would then have the Cybermat kill him. Yeah, I'm definitely not buying that the Doctor would follow through with his threat. Okay. Um, but still pretty sadistic. Yeah, he's, it's a kind of psychological torture. Hmm. Like he's, he's making Kalman think his life is at risk. And Oh, definitely. And he's basically, he's one-upmanshipping the, I think it's the commander or who, or Lester that's pointed the gun at Kalman and said, I'm going to shoot you if you don't start talking. And yeah. he's not buying that. He's basically yeah, like, he's like, no, you're, you're, you're a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't know the doctor. So he thinks he might do that. And he's, he's genuinely scared. Like he, the actor portrays a huge amount of fear from the Cybermat approaching him. Yeah. Like he, he thinks the doctor is going to kill him. And that's, that's pretty shitty. It's super shitty. <laughs> <laughs> to put it lightly. <laughs> if it's a case of you having misinterpreted, as it were, not just you, both of us, the character of the Doctor, as in his backbone, his moral backbone, if this is actually what he's like, how do you feel about the character going forward? I don't know, because I think it it's kind of fueling the way they, they like to treat the Doctor in how he buddies up with humanity and humans, like having a companion and stuff. Because they make a lot of references, uh, in New Who at least, of when the Doctor is away from humans, he gets super angry and is willing to cross lines that yeah. he doesn't when he has a human companion. And even when he does, on the on the rare occasions that he does with the human, a uh, human companion, that companion calls him out on it. Yeah, which no one does in this situation, actually. Absolutely not. They're completely fine with him doing that because he's just as shitty as humans are. <laughs> which, I don't know, I, I, I guess that's a kind of okay sentiment in a way that it's it's humanity that's that's keeping him on the straight and narrow. Yeah. And he needs to remember that. And Because we've, we've talked about this before, that Gallifreyans seems to be a planet of dicks. You know, Gall- Gallifrey seems to be a planet of dicks. they kind of kind of megalomaniacs and... <laughs> Planet of Dicks. <laughs> a working title for a future serial. <laughs> Doctor Who and the Planet of Dicks. <laughs> so, you know, if, if that's his race's backstory, that, you know, they, they feel like they're better than everyone. They, you know, they're at war with the Daleks, but are pushing it to the limits that a lot of other races maybe wouldn't have done. I don't know. Hmm. That That is his background. But then there are so many situations where... The doctor is just upfront. No, I don't want weapons. Like this situation would be really easily solved by us killing that homicidal maniac. Yeah, but no, no, exactly. no, 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 no. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. So it, I don't know. It's it's the kind of duplicity, the the hypocrisy that I think I have more of an issue with. I don't know about you. I'm on board with what you're saying. I wonder if maybe they're just glazing over this completely in New Who, or if it's been retconned since. Maybe, I mean, there's tons of classic Who left to go, so maybe there's going to be a, a change of heart on the part of the Doctor at some point. But I don't feel that, that the Doctor, even in New Who, ever even alludes to having had uh, a brush with sadism. Yeah. That there was that one time during the time war, you know, you slip up once <laughs> and you fuck up your entire species future. But aside from that, he's always been a good guy. It's when he chooses to be the war doctor, that's when he he does something bad. But we're encountering situations in New Who that we're kind of... Post-war doctor. 
Well, true. Oh, you mean Solomon, for example? Yeah, and I, I don't. Yeah, that's I true. don't think it's isolated either. I think I think it's kind of starting to build on in my mind because I'm becoming more aware of it every time. Yeah. And you think of the previous ones, and it's like, well, this is the third time he's done this now. Or, Actually, yeah. It, 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 yeah, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it must be a war criminal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe I do have this kind of rose-tinted view of, of what the Doctor is and just have to accept that that's not really what... Because I, I don't know what Hartnell was like, for example. Like, maybe... He was a curmudgeon, but he wouldn't... I don't think he would have done this. No. But he was also an older older gentleman, so he it never got physical, you know? Yeah. But you, I mean, there's nothing physical about this, you know. Pertwee's oh, not, true. not using his. That is true, but it was a more child-friendly series in yeah. a way. <laughs> yeah, and actually, it's a lie because it did get physical on a couple of occasions when clearly his stunt double stepped <laughs> in and did some sword fighting or something. Yeah, but um, yeah, let's maybe continue to bear this in mind yeah. going forward and see what we, what comes of it. Well, segueing in to this serial. Oh, dude, segue away. <laughs> <laughs> There is another moment uh-huh. in episode two. So this is the same episode. Mm-hmm. Right at the end, the Cybermen are coming onto the ship. And the human response, they're, they're both military officers, the commander and Lester, is... Uzi. Yeah, we're going to yeah. Uzi the fuck out of the Cybermen as they come through the door. Yeah. Obviously, the Doctor is going to assume they're doing that because they're stood there in front of a door. He literally hides around the corner and lets them get shot. Yeah. And at this point... Like at the end of a serial, they've been shot. The doctor gets shot like yeah. six times. <laughs> I know. And like collapses in big fashion. Like this looks like, holy fuck, everyone's just been killed. That's a bit weird. And when you realize actually this is the end, I, you know, I, I didn't realize from how we were reviewing stuff that this was the last one of this series. But you would have been super aware of that when this was aired originally. Like, would you be thinking, holy fuck, is this, this is a short lived Tom, Tom Baker <laughs> run? Like, in the middle of a four-arc serial, or... I don't know, because they're portraying this as like, well, Cybermen have shot him. These these three people must have died. I think it may have been in uh, Genesis of the Daleks, or... No, actually, it might have been Ark in Space, where you made the point of saying you don't feel that there's any tension because you know that the Doctor is not gonna... is, is well, clearly not gonna be killed, right? But do you think this would have would have been like I, I'm obviously putting a pin in my point that yeah, okay. <laughs> that he's basically hiding around the corner whilst the the humans are getting shot? But yeah, yeah. Do you think it would have felt different in 1975? Do you, do you think you would have been worried that the Doctor had genuinely been shot because that's what Cybermen do? No, no, a hundred percent no. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> In fact, what you said sprang to mind as I was watching is this morning. Like, yeah, no, I'm, no this yeah, cliffhanger. Never worried. It was Ark in Space, wasn't it? It's the episode where we were listing all the cliffhangers of yeah. the serial. I went into this knowing that it was a four-episode arc, and I know that this is but the beginning of Tom Baker's run. Yeah. He's not going to die. I am not worried. <laughs> and I assume that everyone watching this at this point loves Doctor Who, as in in 1975, loves Doctor Who knows Doctor Who, knows Tom Baker and and, want, and, and is aware that it's going to continue. So there's not, there might be a moment of like, oh, well, how's he going to get out of this one? But there's no one who thinks, well, that was that, Joe. Let's find another <laughs> fandom, you know? Fair enough. Okay, so coming back to the the point that he basically just lets the humans take, take yeah, the full okay. run of the Cybermen. That's not okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is not okay. The fact that he tries to, in a cartoonish fashion, sort of sneak, sneak away. I've been shot in the back. <laughs> he also doesn't seem to outwardly twig that it's a Cyberman ship. 
Like it's only as he runs oh. runs away to like greet well, greet in quotes. What is he trying the to invaders? do? I don't know. Well, like, well, he goes trying, lock to, trying to lock the door more is already locked. Yeah. Like, what are you trying to do? Like it's a docking thing. It's, yeah, it's, I don't know. Either you can lock it or you can't. Like, what is this manual override going to do? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I agree. That's another point where he is maybe not wholly with it. But I'm going to put that down to stress. <laughs> because at that point he he's under a lot of duress he knows that the cybermen are invading they're about to board the station any attempt to thwart them is probably going to be for naught i'm fine with him having the occasional blunder where he gets a couple of civilians killed <laughs> <laughs> but why doesn't he say or military like, as soon as they look at the the ship on the video screen why doesn't he say oh my god that's a cyber those are cybermen it's, i don't know i just find it really weird wait does he oh how does when does he find out that they're Cybermen? He he seems to know because he as they dock like when he runs off to to lock the airlock he already knows that he's the, yeah exactly. he's shouting over his shoulder because I think the commander says but who are we greeting and he's like oh, Cybermen oh I see um but there's there's no there's no dialogue there's no look from the Doctor at all um to say that he has recognised this ship as being a Cyberman ship huh. Um, and it's just, yeah, I don't know. I just find it really odd that he's just stood there and everyone's going, oh, there's a ship and it seems to be docking. Who on earth could it be? Yeah. And then it docks and the dock goes, fuck, <laughs> it's the Cyberman. <laughs> and it's like, well, you could have told us that about a minute ago. We could have prepared a bit. <laughs> well, what could they have prepared? Well, I don't know. There are three dudes. They could have hidden. Oh, that's true. I don't know. That is true, actually. <laughs> it could have turned into a base under siege scenario yeah. it just, it, but he just doesn't give them the information which he obviously has in in hindsight we can see that he had it no i'm sorry i Odd. see what you're saying now i don't have a counter argument all i can say is i will subtract yet another decimal point <laughs> i was gonna say i might be because <laughs> this is why i'm middle ground because there are a lot of i i genuinely i've started putting question marks as a, a kind of note point and i okay. got so many question marks through oh, really? this because i think it just kind of is questioning why the behavior of the Doctor is this way, and why the Cybermen are this way, why we aren't seeing these kind of things, and, you know, it's just, it seems to kind of, like, meandering around a plot line that isn't quite there, and this is why I'm in the middle. Okay, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. That, that's a fair point. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, we've got other questions about, I think, the Cybermen behavior in particular. Okay. So, they, I guess, I guess it, it actually gets answered, because they, they're going to double-cross the the fact that they put the bombs on Harry and Doc and... No, not Harry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, uh, Lester, Doc, Doc, Doc and... Commander and Lester, yeah. yeah. But they they give them a chance. They, they're telling them they've got a chance to get the bombs in, escape, and they'll let them go. I was like, why? Why is that Why is that the motivation for the Simon? Why Why are they trying to give them the the idea of freedom? It just it just doesn't make sense. Why, why isn't it just like, do this or we'll kill you? Well, so this is part of why, I mean, this is, for me, this is related to why do the Cybermen just walk into this gold mine if they're immune to gold? Oh, sorry, if they're allergic to gold. Because it seemed to me that the reason they are popping these suicide backpacks on Doc, Commander, and Lester is that they themselves can't delve deep into the gold mines. So they need someone else to do so. They can't transmat there because you can't transmat anywhere. You can only transmat to the little gonads yeah. at the entrance. So... So they they de facto need Doc and Co. in order to do this, to complete this mission. So they give them the false hopes because they figure, well, what else are you going to do? Are you going to die now? Or are you going to 
maybe dilated, but maybe not dilated. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's fine, but then that's completely negated by the fact that we get to see in a different part of the same gold mine a few Cybermen just walking around leisurely, and they very easily could have walked around with Cyberbonds. Yeah. What's the problem? Just pop that down there. Thank you very much. Yeah, and uh, exactly. off we go again. Yeah. You're right with that, Frank? Yes. I, I dropped my bomb as well, Jeff. Also, okay, hang on. Question about the cyberbombs. <laughs> so, d- doesn't Doc say the Nerva station is full of cyberbombs? Yeah. Towards the end, when we have that fantastic scene where it's just rushing <laughs> against the surface of Volgolog. Lo- yeah, exactly. The rolling log. rotating log. It, beautiful. I love that shot. <laughs> really? Yeah, absolutely <laughs> love that. But it's it's so ingenious to figure out, oh, yeah, well, let's do that. Maybe next time, use a bigger log. <laughs> but fine, as a, as a mode of achieving that effect, I think that's really well done. But the doctor says the station is full of cyber bombs, yet you only need two of them, one, maybe two of them, to blow up the entire planet. Why would you need a space station full of cyber bombs? I guess I, I took that as, well, a couple of very well-placed bombs in the center of the asteroid can... Oh, what's the word that they use? I don't know. Oh, like defragmentize or something like that? Fragmentize, that's it. Is it? Oh, it's something along those lines anyway. I've I've lost it from my notes. Yes, fragmentize. Because the doctor then makes point, fragmentize? Oh, well, I suppose we can't expect decent English from a machine. <laughs> I know, I wrote that down as well. I want, I want that to be my ringtone going forward. <laughs> Fragmentize. Oh, well, I suppose we can't expect decent English from a machine. You can drop a couple of bombs uh-huh. on, like, fault lines, for yeah. one of a better of a analogy. I and see. You can blow up the planet from within type thing. Whereas if you're crashing something into it, you just want a big boom. Okay. And the cyber leaders exp- explaining this is like the biggest explosion this solar system's ever going to see. Which, I don't know, it's weird. I, the way the Cybermen talk, even even that level, I was, I was so taken aback with what they were like in this serial. Okay. And, I, and I obviously don't have the context of previous classic stuff to go on it. But compared to New Who, like they're so not the machines. They're so not the united um, force. They're so not the threatening thing that's going to overtake humanity. They're just... Yeah, this is, this is all know. the crap parts of the Borg <laughs> yeah. and none of the menacing ones. <laughs> the way they talk to each other is just really pathetic in this <laughs> It's like one of them is relaying information and the other one's just kind of like being the lead leader thing. But it's just, I don't know, you, you're not treating them like individuals. You're not treating them like a singular entity that's sharing information. What, yeah, what do you want it to be? <laughs> <laughs> that is true. There, there was one moment where I had a thought about the single consciousness as well. Or rather, the fact that there isn't a single consciousness. Yeah. And that's when the cyber leader starts pressing buttons on his little... Uh, what's what's it called? Not a harmonica. What's it called? Harpsichord? Ha- no. Accordion. Accordion. Thank you. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. His little chest accordion thingy to get a Cyberman to walk down the corridor and ambush the dock. Yeah. And catch him off guard from behind. Why wouldn't the guy in the down the corridor already know that this was going on? You know, yeah. why does the Sonic leader need to press a button in order to send that communique? But also, if he can do that, if he can press a button and there is then obviously some thought process or something to say, and what this button press means is I am after your attention and now I want you to walk down this corridor, come round behind the doctor and grab him. Yeah. 
Which obviously a one button doesn't tell it maybe, to do that. <laughs> maybe the button is literally just like, see what I see. Click. Well, and and then yeah, he, the other guy can see that the doctor's standing right there and he knows the like geolocation of... Oh. I just want I want more of that stuff because I quite like that. Actually. Yeah, it's awesome. But, but when, unfortunately we don't get it in yeah, this Yeah, when they're just chatting to each other. It's just like... I'm not no. sure we get much of that in other Cybermen, Cyberman serials in Classic Who. I mean, we got we got some techno stuff in Wheel in Space, and we got a whole bunch of it in The Invasion. But then that's not necessarily to the detriment of Cybermen in Classic Who. In the moon base, we have a moon base that, like, controls the weather on Earth, like an Earth a human base on the moon that controls the weather on Earth. Right. And there are Cybermen who want to attack it because they want to use that base to, like, destroy the Earth. They partly achieve this goal by poisoning the sugar aboard the base that people use in their tea. I think you've mentioned this before. (laughs) And I love it. (laughs) There's zero techno babble to that, but it is still great. I don't think that this is a worse episode by virtue of a lack of techno babble. No, I I don't need the techno babble necessarily. Just the functionality, like the cyber. Just something that sets them apart from other enemies in a way. Yeah. No, okay. You know what? You are right about that, but I don't feel like Classic Who has set that bar just yet. No. And, and consequently, fine. I don't have that expectation yet. No, this is just a commentary from a slight outsider, I think, to this process. Okay, well, uh, I, I consider you an insider here, and also I consider your question answered. So like, let's have another question mark. Let's get another question mark. Go, 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 go. So uh, we can make this a two-parter. Okay. Because there are a couple of occasions where the Cybermen tie up people, or in one occasion, get people to tie themselves up. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> they... They leave Sarah Jane tied up on, I think at this point, it's this, in the space station to go on the rocket. It's on Nerva. To basically leave her to get blown up. Yeah. And they're going to go off on the rocket. Mm-hmm. Why? Why not just shoot her? No, or turn her into Cyberman. Yeah. 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 Whatever. Just don't leave her there. That's really weird. And then getting the first, this is the first of a couple of occasions where the cyber leaders get a bit poetic about how like she's going to see things before she oh, dies. Oh, yes, stuff. that's true. And, and she won't, by the way, because she's facing the wrong way. <laughs> Doc is the guy facing the screen. Oh, I, I think maybe, maybe I'm confusing stuff. Maybe, maybe it only happens once. But yeah, that, that, that scene is just... Yeah. But then, yeah, so that scene where they're tied together... Yeah. The cyber leader gets the doctor to tie them together. Oh, you're right. And, and sorry, yeah, no, I'm conflating these scenes. You're absolutely right. There's a scene where she is tied up and she's got that weird, weird whistling ping pong with the doc. Yeah, yeah. Like, rather than him just poking his head around the corner, he whistles to yeah. her. I, which I also love, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one. Yeah, so I, t- I don't know. I just, I find the Cybermen very ill-defined throughout this serial okay. and a little bit weak Fair apart from enough. the one scene where they're in the cave and they just kill everyone and you're just like holy fuck like how are they gonna <laughs> how are they gonna get past these guys and then that does actually make the sacrifice we talk about sacrifice happening in, in doctor who and it's often a little bit weak because it's it's meant to be some redemption for an evil character yeah but we get lester sacrificing himself in a yes. kind of genuine way like I don't know. He was sort of waiting to see if the plan would work, and then he sees it doesn't work, and he goes in and sacrifices himself. Yeah. And I think that was tri- treated quite well. I did not see that coming either. No. And it, frankly, was was really sad. to. I was very sad to see that happen. Yeah, definitely. Not that we'd had much 
character build-up of him. But, but he's he's portrayed as as one of the good guys throughout. Oh, like, certainly. There's yeah. no, never any kind of grey, really. No, no, you're absolutely yeah. right. And also the the fact that he does sacrifice, like that moment, the look on his face when he does turn the little knob on his suicide vest yeah. to sacrifice himself, that in itself is already almost retconning his character. It's building character retroactively for him. Yeah, I can see what Yeah, no, that's a great scene. A v- very powerful scene. We haven't talked about the companions much. Not, not massively, no. Okay, so Harry Sullivan is an imbecile. Harry Sullivan is an imbecile! (laughs) (laughs) You have to shout that one, though. (laughs) I don't understand why the doctor shouts that. (laughs) And I don't agree. I think everyone is great in this. Even though Harry doesn't play much of a part, Sarah plays more of a part in this. Yeah. They get a nice little, very obvious, oh, we're going to have a little adventure moment. And then get captured quite quickly. And then their their moment is actually just escaping capture rather than doing anything worthwhile. Does the Doctor ever actually interact with the Vulgans? Uh, possibly not. Beyond, think- beyond maybe, maybe he communicates with them over voice once. Or? Oh, maybe. On the vision projector. Actually, no, he, he, he communicates with the commander. Oh, does he? Who's with the Vogans, I think. Oh, I don't remember this. Right right at the end, because the rocket... Oh, he's, he gets the commander to steer the rocket away from the space station and, uh-huh. and destroy the cyber rocket instead. And he's instructing him how to use the controls, basically. Okay. But yeah, that, at that point, he could easily be talking to a Vogan. But funny enough, they've just killed the Vogan who knew how to control everything. So he doesn't get to talk to the Vogan. <laughs> Which I felt that was really week as well is they had this weird idea of the two factions of the vogans yeah the vorus guy has been scheming throughout the entire thing and working with kelman and they've been killing people including their own it definitely including their own but then he's he shares his plan and everyone seems to be kind of on board with it and it's just like okay well we'll just work towards the plan now that's great and then they tweak it a little bit at the end where oh i don't get to fire my rocket damn it <laughs> Oh, or at least I don't get to fire my rocket for 15 minutes. Or it's only it's seven minutes. No, I've got to fire my rocket. God damn it, i got to fire my fucking rocket. And so they shoot him. Because <laughs> he wants to fire off his rocket. Yeah, maybe that wasn't a very well thought out plot point. <laughs> but anyway, this is... We're only talking about the companions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have a note that Sarah Jane is a bit pathetic when she runs into the... Try and stop the Cybermen. Like, I don't know what her... Yeah, what was her game what, plan? No... I get that you would want to do something, but she literally just runs up to the cyber leader and gets shoved away and that's She's it. Like, no, don't you do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just isn't a great moment for her. And then she's not really threatened, but she spills the beans on absolutely everything. Wait, when? Literally uh, moments after that scene. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, the, the cyber leader is like, oh, what do you know? And uh, I wonder if I zoned out a little bit in part four. <laughs> <laughs> But she does get an action moment, though. She gets to go across on the little jet ski paddleboard thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Which? Trivia. Apparently. (laughs) He's giving his trivia look right now, (laughs) ladies and gents. She was riding across. They call it a water skimmer. Water skimmer? Apparently. And according to Wikipedia, that's the name they're using. Okay. So the boat went wild and Elizabeth Sladen fell off and had to just sort of wait in the water for the stuntman to come and get her. Oh. And, uh, yeah, the boat just sunk. Oh, no. <laughs> so they... Oh, Liz. <laughs> so somewhere in Wookiee Hole Caves, which is where this is filmed, there is a Doctor Who prop, I would assume, <laughs> at the bottom of a little subterranean <laughs> lake. I mentioned to you before we press record that I had made a note of Wookiee Hole Cave for your benefit, as you are the massive Star Wars fan. 
did you, as a Star Wars fan, also find that there was a maybe a slight parallel between the Cyber Leader and Darth Vader? Oh, yeah, I didn't think of it. What what kind of line are you? I'm, I'm thinking. Along? I'm drawing a parallel between when they have boarded the Nerva Station and he is quite forcefully like grabbing a hold of humans and the Doctor and just barking orders at, at both his colleagues, colleagues, his fellow Cybermen. <laughs> oh, it's my colleague, Cyberman 357. <laughs> We're going for drinks on Wednesday. <laughs> I'm 347, sir. <laughs> oh, fuck you, you all look at the same to me. Like a parallel between that moment and the very beginning of episode four, when he, when Darth Vader is boarding Leia's ship, yeah. holding people, like lifting them off the ground with one arm, yeah. you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah, I, I can see that a bit. I, I think Darth Vader was more threatening. <laughs> that's that's true. That <laughs> more, is more commanding. True. You've already made a yogurt reference. This guy wears a dark helmet. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's wear a dark helmet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I've got about <laughs> about that point. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I have some other points though highlighted among my notes. If you're interested. Number one, episode three of Revenge of the Cybermen was the 400th episode of Doctor Who. Oh, wow. Yeah, 400. Blimey. Who Back When has so far reviewed 401 episodes of Classic Who. That's incredible. That's pretty great. That's one thing. Number two, we haven't really talked about this at all. Already in part one, I was spotting the seal of Rassilon everywhere, and it turns out... It's true. According to Toddis Wikia, it was then repurposed for a number of things until it was eventually repurposed as the Seal of Rassilon. The Vogon symbol, the thing that they have as like a, a golden medallion on the, that they're all wearing, it's on the walls, it's on the table that they sit at. It's the Seal of Rassilon. I must admit, I did not spot this iconography at all. And I don't know it as the Seal of Rassilon. This is more more a kind of oversight, I guess, on on continuity rather than a well. It hadn't. A plot thing, it didn't exist it? as the Seal of Rassilon yet. Yeah, I think it's a neat observation because I I feel like this is just a bit of innocuous artwork in the BBC props department. Like someone just made a few squiggles and went, "Oh, that looks pretty cool." <laughs> it's like multiple eights layered over each other. That's really cool. That could be an alien symbol. And now, according to Todd's Wikia, so this is something that I had no idea about. It was later, reading directly from that, later reused in The Deadly Assassin. It's another classic one. We haven't got that yet. But then fast forward to, at the very least, New Who, it is the Seal of Rassilon. It's, uh, I'm looking around like I've got something in this room. I probably have a a Rassilon symbol somewhere in this house. I I vaguely recognize the symbol. I, um... Don't pick up on its use, to be honest. It's Timothy Dalton's character. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm kind of getting the vibe it, it doesn't have a lot of significance. It is just a piece of iconography, which... Yeah, but but since then, it's turned into this massive thing. Like, yeah. I mean, Tennant certainly... I'm, I'm pretty sure Tennant recognizes the symbol and, like, che- name-checks the symbol. Oh, really? Uh, okay. As the Seal of Rassilon. I see. It's, it showed up in New Who as this completely separate thing, but it must have started off as... This looks cool. Let's use it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then very possibly no one cared about the history of it. Like, let's just repurpose this thing that we've already had on Doctor Who twice before. I I find it a slightly interesting detail of how they worked with the classics versus probably what you would do today. I I don't think you could get away with today of making a detail... Like, I didn't I didn't pick up on it, but they're obviously it's littered throughout this this bogan culture. Yeah. 
They've they've made everywhere. They've made it a thing about this yeah. this alien species. Yeah. Like you, I think today you would have to do that with meaning. You would have to say like, now this is now what the Vogan people are about. You couldn't just repurpose it. You would not get away with it. I think you're right. Do you uh, think that's because audiences are just more discerning now than they were then? I think possibly. And I guess their your attention is is drawn across a lot of different material these days as well. It's like if if one show was crappy enough to not put that <laughs> level of thought and continuity into the stuff, people just would think it's a lesser show, I suppose. It might also be a, a symptom of the box set culture. Like w- We are conditioned at this point to really obsess about TV shows. And yeah. We learn, we know everything about it, and we kind of assume showrunners to put the exact same level of obsession yeah. into their craft. Yeah, because we, we're in this weird kind of bubble where actually the fans tend to know a lot more than the, <laughs> the production crew a lot of the time. <laughs> Certainly the cast. <laughs> that is very true. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't normally me- make any notes about the music, but I couldn't help not make a note about the music Ooh. because it felt very over the top a lot of the time in this series. Oh, really? Did, did you pick up on that at all? I, I didn't note it down, but I did definitely think that, oh, they worked on the music in this <laughs> one. I didn't, I didn't, I never thought that it was over the top. Quite the opposite. I thought, Wow. They did a good job on this one. Okay. Oh, you didn't like it then? I think I liked it most of the time. There was one heartbeat track that they loved using. (laughs) I think maybe just in episode three, possibly a bit in episode four as well. Where it just, like, this isn't building tension. This is just annoying. (laughs) Oh, I didn't, I did not register that at all. Yeah. But there were there were so uh, certain tunes that they used specifically for tension, sort of a horror ish tension, yeah. which I thought seemed almost too high budget for Doctor Who. Like, oh wow, well done, guys! I don't know where you stole this track, but well done. <laughs> I think a lot of times it just it felt like it didn't quite fit what else was going on either. Oh, okay, I see. I, either yeah, with the fair. acting or, or or the props or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Okay, I have a a sad piece of trivia. I'll read this straight off uh, TARDIS Wikia. This is maybe a sad note to to end it on, but in a sense, it nicely bookends the classic Cyberman run up until this point. Okay. So from TARDIS Wikia, between the broadcasts of parts one and two, William Hartnell, the first Doctor, passed away. Coincidentally, during the broadcast of a serial that served to reintroduce the Cybermen, which was his final solo appearance. So that was the 10th planet. Yeah. So he left his role as the Doctor with the Cybermen's first appearance, and he left this world, shall we say, with the Cybermen's very first return to the franchise, which he helped build. Hmm, that is sad. It's sad, but it's but also poetic. poetic in a way. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Anyway, have you given any thought to how to rate this? I wrote a number down, which may or may not stick. <laughs> In that case. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. All right, Dib's not it. <laughs> I guess that means I'm it then. <laughs> Can't bat that off to anyone else. I said before I was kind of low side of the medium level. Oh, okay. And I think that's where... I'm staying. Okay. Oh, damn it. I think... Oh, you're so much lower than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I think the the problem I have with this serial is is mostly it just doesn't know what it wants to be, really. I think we were talking about the plot, and you kind of started getting excited that there were levels to it you hadn't quite grasped, I think, maybe. Yeah. 
Whereas I was seeing that it's just is really convoluted. It's then it starts just throwing questions into the mix, like the way the Cybermen are behaving, the way that Cowman is kind of double crossing, but I don't know, is it, he's not just being ruthless and heartless and cold and. But that's what his actions have portrayed him as. Like the actual things we see him doing, he seems to be trying to make things work. He seems to want to. Like you, you were saying that he was perhaps doing this more as a kind of backup plan that things didn't quite go his way. But yeah, I still, I still feel like it's a bit, it's a bit wishy washy. Like what his motivation is. Like he's, he is a geographical survey or something. Like <laughs> how is this guy now trying to just? <laughs> set himself up for life with a pile of gold and willing to kill 47 people in the process i i, I don't know where is that motivation come from and then the, the cybermen why aren't the cybermen wanting to hack people up come on uh, it's just it's not it's not as build really again it's and we get mentions of these really grand things like we we're finding out the way to kill cybermen and it's pathetic throwing chunks of gold at them <laughs> trying to manhandle gold through a vent in the front <laughs> it's just this is just and why is it revenge of the cybermen why is it the revenge what, what of are they avenging well <laughs> I, I mean i guess they're, they're trying to go at the vogans and stuff but oh really is it not just the it's the glitter gun that's what's i'm sorry i'm interrupting your mini no, here, no, but, okay. but like it, <laughs> the Vulcans have done nothing in this matter. They're just innocent bystanders who happen to live on a gold planet. Well, the, I think the Cyber War is meant to be with the Vogans, but this, oh, really? This seems to be it seems to be a kind of spurred. Oh, off. I didn't get that. I did not get that. Well, maybe I misinterpreted again. <laughs> issues with the plot. It's not clear. <laughs> but if we're t- if we're taking it that there is a revenge, I think that's the revenge. Is that the Cybermen are trying to take out the the vogans and this planet of gold which is now apparently a threat yeah maybe it's it's really the gold <laughs> aspect i don't know <laughs> i feel like a lot of people including possibly the writer doesn't know <laughs> um so uh, i don't know actually maybe i want to be more negative i but i did i did enjoy watching it that's the thing that's that's again why i kind of get frustrated with doctor who a lot is that <laughs> there's there's some good in everything there always is. That's why I love the show. Like there, there's always some heart there behind it. Like the the acting throughout this was actually really good. The That's production levels were really good. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always you can see people love this show, love making the show, love being in the show, um, which is why we as fans love it. So I don't want to get super critical on this. And it's it's the first classic Cybermen that I'm getting to see. So I'm I'm getting a little bit of kind of like oh yeah this is this is. This is nice. So I, I could probably be more more negative if I really wanted to be, but no, I'm I'm happy to stay in the middle because I ultimately did enjoy it. But there's so many issues. I have to go south of that medium point, and I have to go two point three. Oh, two point three. Oh, I had you lower than that, frankly. Two point three. Yeah, so we're not, not so far apart. Yeah, it's not too bad. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a brilliant mini. Okay, <laughs> I'm not going to echo everything you've just said because I think. You're pretty much spot on. From your point of view, my impression is that maybe there are just too many things going on in this plot and not a single one of them is explored well enough. And I mean, we don't get to know what is the background to the double cross. We don't understand the politics between these three species. 
I think maybe on a few occasions this cereal is a little bit too ambitious for for the size of its boots. <laughs> but I don't see that as a point of criticism. Quite the opposite. I think it's admirable how high they set their targets, you know, when they wrote this. <laughs> You'd much rather little little Jimmy was was aiming for the finish line but fall short rather than just not even started. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The ambition itself is already worthy of applause, of being lauded, and as such I have to rate it quite high. Now, we've spent nigh on two hours, I don't know what the final edit's going to be, but we've spent nigh on two hours just berating this thing, so I've gradually been cutting points off my my original score. My original score was in the high threes. It was like 3.9, then I turned it to 3.7, yada, yada, yada. And here's where I'm coming from. I'm looking at this sort of quote-unquote arc... You've already said it's not quite an arc, but yeah. sort of. So we have Arc in Space, Ex- Sontaran Experiment, Genesis of the Daleks, and we have this one. And that's almost, but not quite, one storyline. And of these, Genesis of the Daleks is the best one. I give that 4.6. Arc in Space, very close second. I give that 4.4. Mm. Now, parallel that with previous classic Who Cybermen. Cybermen? Cyberman. <laughs> it's like my neighbor, Cyberman. Uh, it's said that way in this oh, series. Yeah. <laughs> Which crap me up every time. This, one of the humans in particular, I think, says it as Cyberman. Cyberman. <laughs> I'm, I'm picturing like an older, wise Jewish gentleman who plays chess in Central Park. Yeah. Oh, that's Cyberman. Don't mind him. The other experiences of Classic Who, Cyberman that we've had, for me, Invasion was the top one, 4.5. Moonbase, 4.0. Tenth Planets, and uh, 3.8. Wheel in Space, 3.5. Oh, and Tomb of the Cyberman, also 3.5. I don't think that this quite measures up to any of them. And I, I feel really bad saying that this is the worst Cyberman experience that we've had so far on Classic Who. But I could believe it. <laughs> but mathematically, I have to say, yes, that's the case. This is nowhere near as good, unfortunately. Um, I'm not going to go as low as I thought at first, just based on stuff I caught online. I thought I was going to give this like a one point something. But in actual fact, I'm going to settle on... It's higher than yours. I'm sorry. I'm settling on a two point Nine. Oh, oh, I was convinced you were being a three point something. <laughs> okay, truth be told, <laughs> before I started this mini, I had written 3.1. I was for a 2.9, and nice. um, compare that to New Who. Army of Ghosts, great, 4.0. Doomsday, great, 3.7. Next Doctor, great, but 2.0. Closing time, fuck closing time, 1.9. This is way better than some of the New Who Cyberman stuff that we've had. Yeah. But it's just not as good as the, the old stuff. So shall we hear what everyone else thinks about this? Yes, let's do that. But before we jump into Listener Miniland, let me just give a quick shout out slash plug to the very latest addition to the Who Back When blog. This one comes from Richard Tarrant. Hello, Rich. Hi, Rich. <laughs> Who has written a fantastic blog post about the nostalgia of Doctor Who, the the VHS-based nostalgia of Doctor Who, with a very specific focus on, if you will, Revenge of the Cybermen. So please go to whobackwhen.com and read Rich's blog post because it is, it's brilliant and it's going to be a really, really nice, I'm hoping it's going to be a really, really nice accompaniment to this episode and to the, the serial of Doctor Who in general. Next up, let's jump into Listener Mini Land. Listen! 
Holy moly, we have eight of them. <laughs> so we're going to be ruthless. So first up, who have we got? Paul Forber. Hello, Paul. Hey, Paul. Paul has written a maxi review. So we're going to trim this. We're going to read the first and the last paragraph. But please do yourselves a favor and go to Who Back When and read it in its full splendor. Paul starts. Do you want to take this one up? Sure. Jerry Davis's script for Revenge of the Cybermen included nods to each previous Cybermen story. An astronaut's inquiry about his brother recalled General Cutler and his son's relationship in the Tenth Planet. I feel like we're not going to pick up on any of these little marks here. (laughs) (laughs) An alien plague like the one attacking Nerva Beacon was central to the plot of the Moon Base. Davis's previous story, Tomb of the Cybermen, introduced the Cybermats spreading the disease here. Once it was fixed, Nervous sabotage Transmat enabled Sarah Jane to live, as the disabled laser on the Wheel of Space, upon repair, enabled its crew to survive a meteor storm. Nervous Transmat needed its missing pentalium drive in the same way the wheel's laser depended on bernalium rods. Ooh. Lots of eums here. Like the invasion, this story's climax involved changing the course of an airborne rocket. Kelman dressed like the previous story's human antagonist, Tobias Vaughn. That was his name. And like Vaughn, he was the Cyberman's ally before changing size and losing his life. Oh my goodness, those are some seriously, incredibly spiffing observations, Paul. Very, very well done. Uh, We're going to jump straight to the very, very last paragraph of this one. Sorry, Paul, and sorry, podcast land, but go to whobackone.com and read this in its full splendor. Paul concludes, Davis's script isn't horrible, but pales... Put that on the DVD cover. (laughs) (laughs) but pales among the stories around it. Despite catering to fans without detracting from the story, the strong cast emphasizes the importance of scripts and well-defined characters to Doctor Who. The sets and locations are fantastic, while props are familiar and functional. Nevertheless, script editor Robert Holmes' hard work couldn't save this story. The Cybermen seemed to enjoy their revenge, without knowing they stood atop a slippery slope. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> this is an excellent maxi review so please do read it on whobackone.com in the meantime please high five paul online paul can be found on twitter he is at wordsmith paul thank you so much paul thank you paul next up we've got trenton Blaze. hey there trenton hello trenton Trenton starts, after the masterpiece that was Genesis of the Daleks, we were due a bad one, and goodness, is this one pretty bad. After seven years on the shelf, the Cybermen return from nowhere. They look pretty much the same, except now they just sound like guys speaking into a tin. (laughs) And their weakness is gold? (laughs) I get the point, it's non-corrosive and it clogs their ventilation, but come on! Even the Cybermats look awful. But Liz Layden can definitely sell one attacking her. Hmm. Evidently, Robert Holmes had a part to play in the reworking of the script initially written by Jerry Davis. You wouldn't notice because of how uninspired this story is. The Vogans are lackluster, if not awful. They look terrible and are just very bland. And they were added by Robert Holmes. The story's saving grace is the location should at Wookiee Hole, which, although plainly devoid of gold... <laughs> Provides an unusually convincing setting for subterranean Vogue. <laughs> That's such a good line. <laughs> There's definitely at least one scene where there's some gold in there. Only here does the drama occasionally gleam with life. Overall, says Trumpton, 
What do I think? It's awful. It's bloody awful. As a self-proclaimed Cyberman fanboy, I hate revisiting this serial because my favorite monsters were done so dirty here. It's basically Ark in Space, but with Cybermen. And thank goodness they were done so much better in the future. And oh, we'll get to that. The story was so uninspired, and it could have been great, but it wasn't. Can we get on to a better story now? He gives it... 1.8 out of 5. (laughs) Wow. Oh, Trenton. Awesome mini. Thank you so much. Ladies and gents who are not Trenton, please follow Trenton online. He is at Trenton Bless. That's Bless with two what's, Jim? Little ink trails left around. (laughs) That's right. I feel like at the end of these reviews, I might want to lower my score. (laughs) (laughs) Well, just you wait. Let's see what Michael Ridgway Ridgway. Ridgway. has to say. So Michael starts with some things he liked. Mm. The horror! The horror! Bodies littering the corridors. A robotic killer snake and its veiny victims. Traitor Kelman in his death trap bedroom. Cyberman. We didn't even talk about that amazing scene. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> Cyberman storming Nerva. The massacre of the Vogans. A cyber bomb strapped to the doctor. All burned horribly into my seven-year-old psyche. Next thing he liked, the little golden cave train. (laughs) (laughs) And best line, Harry Sullivan is an imbecile! Michael continues with some beefs. First beef is, I have no beef with the Cybermen's new aversion to gold, but why aren't the Vogans slaughtering the Cybermen? Where is the glitter gun we were teased with? Why don't the Vogans just lob gold at the Cybermen? There's fucking gold everywhere. Why aren't the Cybermen dying from the gold all around them? Or at the very least, getting the sniffles? Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I have a cyber cough. <laughs> Gold is the only thing that is effective against Cybermen. Horse balls. <laughs> what about the defeats of the Cybermen pre-gold retcon, eh? Is the Doctor enjoying torturing Kelman a little too much in episode two? Whose side is Kelman on anyway? I'm totally lost. I'm glad that we weren't the only ones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and final beef is, why is the Doctor so surprised to see Cyberbombs, despite their being banned under the Armageddon Convention? Would the Cybermen realistically abide by such a cause, or even be signatories in the first place? <laughs> second referendum, second referendum! <laughs> <laughs> in summary, Michael says, this story was my first ever classic Who. The... Seventh Doctor being New Who at the time. Like a middling voter in the EU referendum who ended up supporting Leave, my brain tells me this story is dumb whilst my heart shouts take back control, blue passports and fish. (laughs) (laughs) So because of this brain meltdown, Michael has given this an astounding... 4.2 4.2 out of 5 stupid Vogans getting mown down by Cybermen because they left their glitter guns at home. <laughs> Idiots. Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you so much, Michael. That is an excellent mini. Thank you, Michael. Awesome. <laughs> As always. Uh, please, Podcast Land, follow Michael on Twitter. Michael can be found at bad underscore movie underscore club. <laughs> no final underscore. <laughs> Next up, we've got Peter Zunich. Zunmeister, hello. <laughs> oh, Zunmeister, that's right. Hello, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Here's another story, says Peter. I really want to love, but ultimately, it's just okay. 
The problem is a lackluster execution of an amazing plot idea. Plot holes abound. Why does the cyber leader keep tying people up instead of quite literally using his head and killing them? (laughs) (laughs) How can two Cybermen take over a planet holding the race that invented the ultimate weapon to kill them? Why doesn't the cyberscanner pick up the bombs as they move away from the core? How do the Vulgans reproduce? There's so many more essential details that are just neglected. But despite this, says Peter, there's some great elements. The respectful way the two Vogan <laughs> factions fight is wonderful. The double agent using the station as a missile, the backstory of the cyber war, and the mere mention of a weapon known as a glitter gun <laughs> are all enough to make this a great series. Hashtag <laughs> proud David Bowie. <laughs> Peter continues, the regulars are in such top form you often forget their acting and just watch them live their lives. The effects, minus the stock rocket footage, are enjoyable. Design and costuming are all well-conceived, though the cyber leader has some pretty tight pants in the back. <laughs> Note the symbol that later becomes the Seal of Gallifrey. Oh yes, that's the Seal of Rasvon, yeah, yeah. The story is fairly directed, but dips in pacing, while bouts of illogic reduce a great story to a middling one. And Peter says, we'll rate it at a 2.9. At least now we know there's so much bad poetry from the Vogons. That's what we should have done. I was trying to get the poetry in there, but I, I, couldn't, I couldn't make it work. I think the way to do it was just to say it. There is a reference to it in said blog post, so check uh, that out as well. Uh, Peter, awesome stuff! I just want to quickly put my, my nerdy glasses on and say, uh-huh. these are Vogans, not Vogons. Not Vogons. Vogons. Oh. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> Peter, fantastic stuff. Thank you so much for sending that in. Peter is not on Twitter. However, there is something else you can slash should slash must do. Are you into Minecraft? Well, you are in luck because Peter Zunich has written and published not just one, but two Minecraft books. If you go to Amazon and you search for Mindcrafting, an unofficial Minecraft story, or Mindcrafting book two, then you will find part of Peter Zunich's bibliography, because it turns out he has quite an extensive one. I know at least three people in podcast land who are into Minecraft. What are you waiting for? Go and find these books. Thank you so much, Peter. (laughs) Thank you, Peter. Next up, we have New Reviewer! New Reviewer! (laughs) Lawrence Cornford. Hello, Lawrence! Hey, Lawrence! And welcome aboard. Whoop, 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 whoop! All aboard the review train! (laughs) Whoop, whoop! We need to have some sort of fanfare whenever someone new appears in the mini section. I'm keeping that as a soundbite that is forever going to be used as the fanfare for new reviewers. I should have, should have done it slightly flat. That would have be much better. I loved it. I loved it. Right. Lawrence says, the original idea was strong. A space casino is besieged by Cybermen with a Cybermat spread plague and the doctor defeats them with the casino's gold reserves. Yes, it's basically the plot of Moonbase, but it's stronger than what we get. The casino setting was vetoed and so is replaced by a good mine asteroid. This version was heavily rewritten by Robert Holmes and somewhere along the line lost its way. Yeah, I'm sorry, Space Casino? Yeah, I would have wanted to see that. Seriously, this is in the four zone straight away. (laughs) A (laughs) hundred (laughs) percent. Lawrence continues, there is little which is good here. The acting, even from Kevin Stoney, David Collins and Michael Wisher, is unremarkable to poor. 
Boga might have been presented as an allergy to the mon- to Mondas, but it is instead just dull. The Cyberman plot makes no sense. Why can the Cybermen wander about on Voga? And if so, why can't they plant the bomb? <laughs> exactly. Exactly, Lawrence. The Vogans don't have glitter guns and so get massacred by the Cybermen. Their rocket plot is also rubbish and so on. There are moments, says Lawrence. Episode 1 has some atmosphere as the TARDIS crew wander about the empty space station. The caves generally look good. The regular cast are as good as ever, even if Harry's character suffers. It is watchable in a way that some other Who stories are not. I'm looking at you, Space Museum, and Time Lash. But it is a disappointing end to the season. And Lawrence is summing up is, is it worse than the Suntiring experiment? No. <laughs> Lawrence is being a bit more vague. Maybe not, he says. <laughs> but it is twice as long, so I mark it down for that. Ooh. So the final score that Lawrence gives this is... 1.5 out of 5. Oh, wow. That is awesome stuff. Uh, thank you so much, Lawrence. That is an excellent mini, and welcome aboard this journey down the temporal road. These ratings are all over the, the shop. Like, yeah. we've got super high ones, we've got super low ones. We're the only middle ones. We're the... We're average. Yeah. Oh, shit. We're average, dude. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're... We're below... I know. We're below you're, average. You're, you're above average. <laughs> I'm below average. <laughs> I'm below average, so I have, you know... <laughs> All right, thank you so much, Lawrence. Next up, we've got Paul Waring. Hey, Paul. Hello, Paul. Paul starts. Following Genesis of the Daleks was always going to be tough, and Revenge of the Simon suffers in relative terms as a result. The story raises all sorts of questions, including, why do the Cybermen want revenge if their emotions have been removed? <laughs> why does gold, one of the least reactive elements, clog up their respiratory units? Why do they even have respiratory units, <laughs> given that they can survive in a vacuum? <laughs> Such a good question. Very fair. The cyber leader also loses his temper on several occasions, but that's understandable given that he's trying to destroy an entire planet with only three troops because the BBC could only afford that many costumes. I did actually read another, another <laughs> note. There's so many trivia on the costumes, apparently, for this one. Oh, that, really? That they... Yeah, the, the the other costumes didn't fare too well, which is why they had to kind of redo it all. Oh, they, no. wanted, they wanted to just reuse it, but they couldn't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and Paul continues, Cybermen aside, at least we have a decent guest cast, including a link back to the previous Cybermen story with Kevin Stoney as Tyrum. Brackets, Tobias Vaughn oh, in was... The Invasion. Oh, I didn't get, I didn't catch that. Oh, he, oh my goodness. Hmm. The regulars are on form again, although it does feel to me like Harry is being squeezed out. Mm. With more screen time devoted to Sarah and the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Which I don't think I have a problem with, actually. No, nor I. <laughs> the special effects are variable, but it's always fun to watch the actors attack themselves with a Cybermat. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, the plot is decent and there are no problems with the cast, but the Cybermen are a shadow of their former selves from the invasion. Fortunately, they pick up in their next appearance, although that's some way off. And Paul gives this 3.5 out of 5. Nice. That is some awesome stuff. I believe we've forgotten to point out that Paul Waring can be found on Twitter in the past. We should not forget this this time. You can find Paul online. He is at P. Waring. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you, Paul. And the penultimate review is from Jim the Fish. (laughs) Jim. Jim. Jim has broken this down into some likes and dislikes. So we started. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) We are starting with the likes. 
I love how cozy Kelman's room is. The return of the Cybermats is a welcome one, even if they're, they've more than doubled in size. The effect of the poison in the vein-like patterns has to be one of my favorite special effects in Classic Who. The Cybermen are pretty ominous when they are silently killing the Vogans in the creepy, dimly lit, atmospheric caves. Yeah, I agree with that. And then he moves on to his dislikes. Number one, the mannequins posing as dead bodies. Oh, I didn't even spot that. Nor I. I just assumed they were actors. Yeah, same here. I didn't realize. Oh, you've got a good eye, Jim. Yeah. All right. Not you, Jim. <laughs> no, I've got a bad eye. Jim's got a good eye. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> the second dislike Jim has. Other Jim. Not me. Not me. Other Jim. So the Cybermen are going to blow up a planet with three bombs. But one bomb barely took out a couple of Cybermen. Hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Didn't think about that. <laughs> the Vulgans, while a cool concept, have to be some of the most boring aliens on the show so far. Yeah. Why don't the Vulgans use gold in their guns? 300 years ago, gold wiped out the Cybermen. Now they walk around in caves made of gold and the Vulgans use conventional bullets? Why is everyone using bullets? <laughs> <laughs> A bigger question. What's a good question? <laughs> Why not have like a gold sprinkler system? <laughs> <laughs> Biggest missed opportunity in all of Doctor Who. They don't use the sleeping humans. A direct sequel to Ark in Space could have had the Cybermen with an entire race of humans to convert, but it's clear Robert Holmes thought they were just robots, as the Doctor calls the Cybermen total machine creatures. There you go. Yeah, yeah. The gyms are aligned. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have a rocket. Kelman said they do. So they do have a rocket. Cyberman logic is impeccable. <laughs> I actually kind of like that. <laughs> it's like, I don't believe you. Oh, wait, our traitor guy, he said it. Oh, it must be true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes no sense. I, 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 I think that's hilarious logic. In conclusion, says Jim the Fish... First Cyberman story in five years, and last one for another nine. May not be the best, but I still love it. And he also gives it 3.5 out of 5. Oh, interesting. Mm. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Thank you so much, Jim. Thank you, Jim. Next up, we have... Oh, yay! This one comes from Kyle Rath. Haven't heard from him in a while. Hi, Kyle. Hello, Kyle. Kyle says, thousands of years before some green bubble wrap snuggied its way into our hearts, the Doctor, Sarah, and Harry find themselves back at Nerva Central, where people seem to be dropping like flies. Again! For the very first time! (laughs) (laughs) As it's clear, the budget ran out, says Kyle. And because all the good words were were used up in Genesis of the Daleks, this story first introduced us to some moderately invested in the plot humans, some (laughs) hidden in plain shiny knob site Cybermen, and some guys who look like they want to tell you about the droid attack on the Wookiees, who are big pimping the seal of Rassilon before it was a thing. I know who he means. It's Phantom Menace Jedi dude. Oh, really? <laughs> I, I see it. I see it, Carl. <laughs> Is this the guy with the giant forehead? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly. Yeah, yeah I know what yeah. you mean. <laughs> <laughs> There's some mild genocide, a lot of phallic symbols and all kinds of stuff with the word cyber in front of it but if there is anything you can take away from this subpar shit fest of an episode it's this all of time and all of space and there's apparently only one asteroid with gold running through it (laughs) but harry sullivan is an imbecile (laughs) 
And Kyle Kyle gives this 1.2 out of 5. Wow. (laughs) So long and thanks for all the side, Matt, says Kyle. Steaming muck in four parts. Carry on. (laughs) (laughs) And we will. We shall. Thank you so much, Kyle. Uh, Welcome back. Glad to have you back. People who are not Kyle, you can follow Kyle on Twitter. He is at Sinister Super Spy. That is super without any vowels. Awesome stuff. Thank you, Carl. Yeah, very, very good stuff. Right. Next up, we're going to have a new Who review, namely of The Power of Three. And the next classic we have is Terror of the Zygons. <gasps> yes! Zygons! Ooh. Oh, super excited. <laughs> Oh my god, I've just clicked on the Wikipedia thing and it has a picture of the Loch Ness Monster. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look forward to all of that stuff. That's going to be great. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that myself. In the meantime, you can say hello to us on Twitter. Jim, you are? I'm at Jimmy the Who. Dude, I'm going to go and follow you right now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, that's stalkery. <laughs> You can follow me as well. I am at Ponkin, P-O-N-K-E-N. Say hello. I'll say hello right back. I'm already following you. I'm already following you. So, you know, <laughs> jokes on, I don't know. Everyone else. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, Podcast Land. You've been a lovely audience. Until the next time, rock on. Be right and excellent to each other. And cha-chao. See ya. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome! High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it, we're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, ciao ciao. Who back when?